Welcome to the Comics Syllabus, a comics analysis podcast where we read widely and we dig deep in the world of comics and graphic novels. Today, uh, Johnny and Paul discuss our list of the most significant comics and graphic novels of the decade that was the 2010s. We're going to look into um, 10 different titles that we think defined the decade and talk about the impact that they had on comics as a medium, as an industry, as an art form, and um, and as a, a part of our a vital part of our pop culture. Johnny, how are you doing? Paul, I'm doing great. How are you doing, bud? Uh, it's a happy new year. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. And uh, you know, I, I, I'm the kind of per- I'm the kind of optimist who's always trying to take. Uh, these kinds of opportunities to remake my whole life. So, you know, so far, you know, seven out of ten on my goals, <laughs> which sweet, is, which is not bad. Um, I, I just made up that number. That's not real. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I've already, I've already given up on my gym membership. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was, that's one way I've found success is just not even to try on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one of the seven. Don't it's, even try for the gym. That's right. That's right. Hope springs eternal, though, at the comic syllabus. <laughs> Um, among our goals, I bet, are um, ones having to do with reading. And that's um, because I think, Johnny, you and I both have this thing where comics is fun, but it's also, like, for us, a diet of something positive. I don't know if that's true for you. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's uh, it's definitely a place I go for, for comfort. Um, mm-hmm. But also, you know, being a, you know, a fan of the medium for so long, yeah. You know, it's also something that you want to kind of hone. It's also a, a, a skill that you want to develop. You don't want to just, it can be more than just junk food. So yeah. I think that's why, why I was attracted to uh, the comic syllabus in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. S- solid food. Um, that's <laughs> what we try to <laughs> deliver. Um, well, we're part of the Multiversity Network of Podcasts. And, uh, you know, you can go to multiversitycomics.com where you'll find other podcasts that um, also engage in solid food. <laughs> um, you know, if we if we if we had to do a best podcast, comic podcast of the decade, I'm sure uh, a few of those more than a few of those would would show up on the list. <laughs> I like uh, yeah. Robots from tomorrow in particular is has been a big uh influence on me and and you as well i'm, I'm yep. sure yep our guys um yeah. so check those guys out and um some mandalorian chat over at the star wars mm-hmm. galaxy and and uh you know happenings and marvel all that stuff is out there mm-hmm. uh not just at the podcast but of course at the site multiversitycomics.com and then on on our our gig here um I, I always forget to say this johnny but now that you're here with me as a regular co-host which is a great honor and great fun I am reminded that we should encourage listeners to subscribe and rate and review <laughs> on Apple because that I think that helps. That's what all the other podcasts say. So <laughs> I, it's supposed to help. So. Yeah, um, I don't know that we're gonna show up real soon on any of those like you know top podcast lists. But um, hey, well, actually, what matters to us most is that those of you who do listen um, feel the freedom to interact with us. Um, your Absolutely. feedback um, with us on Twitter or. Or Instagram or Facebook, which is linked all in the show notes to uh, to come chat with us about your thoughts, and and maybe there's something substantive here too, uh, some of that solid food, because uh, Johnny and I really try to take the um, you know the holiday the 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 break time that we had to contemplate the decade. So we know we're not the earliest best of the decade <laughs> list to come out on the internet um, when it comes to comics, but I do think that we've tried to put some thought into 
how does this list, um, you know, speak to, yes, to our interests and passions, but also to the significance of comics in this last decade. Um, and so we offer you after our break here, um, our, 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 you know, uh, five each comics and graphic novels that spoke to the 2010s. Um, yeah, Johnny, any, uh, any, anything else no. to add? No, let's take it away. All right. We'll be back in a minute. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commanding. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinbro, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. Paul, question. Yes. Uh, did you ever, when you were in school, uh, get an assignment and then see what the other person did and realize that you may have had the completely wrong assignment? Maybe <laughs> that you didn't read the syllabus as closely as possible? <laughs> I think that's the story of my academic career. That's actually a regular <laughs> recurring nightmare for me. But yes. <laughs> well, my nightmare has been realized. Uh, <laughs> so, so when uh, when we, even though my list is very well considered, I think I might have been considering something a little different than, than what your list uh, considers. <laughs> Not that that's a bad thing. I just think that uh, we're off to a strong 2020 start there <laughs> in our partnership. <laughs> where we went on wildly different uh, tangents with our five. I think I think it feels to me like you're thinking in the macro and mm. I'm kind of a little more um, micro, maybe a little mm. more personal uh, with my picks or at least how the these comics, my five, influenced me personally. Yeah. Uh, do you feel that that might be true or... You know, um, uh, yes, because I, <laughs> I take the full responsibility because whoever wrote this syllabus had no idea at the end of the semester what they wrote at the beginning. I think you and I chatted a lot about what this list was supposed to mean, and you had some really good uh, focusing questions of like, is this about my subjective opinion or is this about my read on the world? And you know, I have to say, uh, I'm not sure, and so I think I was pretty dodgy in my answer. And <laughs> I, I almost want to say I'm I'm almost glad that I misled you, <laughs> my intentions. No, I, um, I think it reaps yeah. rewards, or we, I think I think the alternative we would have just come up with five of pretty much the same, the sure. same list. Yes, you know, yes, or or close to it. And I think with with us kind of like going off on our own and doing our own thing, we've we've come up with with. 10 interesting picks i'm really i really like our list yeah yeah i mean i i think um it makes me think a little bit about like the extent to which you and i are i mean one of the reasons i think we vibe is that we don't love everything we read but there is a sense for us that reading comics is not just my like subjective experience but my connection with the zeitgeist ish yeah absolutely (laughs) uh absolutely yeah i shouldn't speak for you but so no, so, no, I think you're, I think you're right. I think we yeah. are, you know, you know, we are, we are stuck in this, this this time together, and even though we, even though comics is a very intimate 
experience we still yeah. uh you know we still read socially you know yeah so. yeah yeah we read socially i like that it's a good way to uh, sum up the philosophy of <laughs> of my right. uh, this podcast for me um you know looking at your list now i think there is that duality in them i know these things are things that are of significance to you actually johnny you know from from our our friendship but also know ways that and but this is this could easily be some i don't know you know reviewer or commentators list of uh things that made different kinds of splashes over the decades so kind of For to sure. me your your list really serves both purposes and and i feel the same way about mine all right so who wants to go first should i go first <laughs> yeah why don't you kick us off do you want to do five and then five or do you want to uh trade off maybe uh, either oh, way i, I say we trade off as a matter of fact um you know i kind of paired our um our uh five that's perfect in, in thematically or or yeah or how i see them and so we'll just start off with with you know i think where we both well, no, you started with uh, comic strips, right? You start with peanuts. Yes, I think yeah. we, I think we all might have. I think we all might have. But let's go ahead and start with <laughs> with superhero comics. The one let's that had it. the most the most uh, influence on my young adulthood or young <laughs> or even childhood. But um, so the 2010s, I guess, is a little backstory. That was that was my 30s. You know, that was I'm now in my 40s, mm-hmm. and um, and I think that the five picks that it, that I have kind of represent the five books that sort of like followed me along with my journey where Mm. I could see the parallels Mm. and what the characters were experiencing in the books or even what the, the, the uh, artists were experiencing in their books uh, that I was experiencing in in life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, um, and my first pick uh, for comic of the decade was, uh, the Hawkeye run by Matt Fraction and David Aha. Mm. And certainly there was a lot of help in those 22 issues by <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, artists like Annie Wu and, and Javier Polito, uh, Francisco Francavilla, yeah. uh, Steve Lieber, Chris Eliopoulos. Yes. But, um, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar with the book, um, it was a 22 issue run, part of the Marvel Now uh, project. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, it was basically, uh, you know, I, I kind of call it a boutique run uh, mm. by Fraction and AHA, where they were really kind of allowed to break tradition with not only the superhero books at the time, but just mm-hmm. uh, superhero um, storytelling in general. Now, there have always been like, you know, a real world, or not always, but, you know, for 30, 40 years now, there's been a real world aesthetic to superhero comics. But right. I think this felt like the maybe the first gen x you know yeah uh kind of like a slacker uh i call it a norm core uh look in mainstream books um it was it was you know the the pitch for the book was you know what is what is hawkeye doing in his downtime Mm. and it was less about the superheroes and more about the man and it um and not and not just him but his surrounding cast of characters which as you know i've grown to very much love the 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 kate bishop hawkeye maybe even more than the the clint barton but Mm -hmm. um you know rare is it for such a uh mainstream book to be allowed to play with with um with the format Mm -hmm. and i Mm -hmm. think that because 
Hawkeye is a you know a C or D list or maybe a little higher now with the movies, but really he was always a you know you know a, a C list Marvel character. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Fraction and Aha were allowed to, to play with um, a lot of different uh, visual styles in the mm-hmm. book. Mm-hmm. Things that you know, you, you know, fans of Chris Ware or or David Mazur Kelly might be familiar yeah. with, but mm-hmm. certainly this generation of comics readers um, in 2012, uh, it you know, it showed them a whole new world of what what comics can could mean. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know, I think. Going forward from that, you know, I, I honestly think that Tom King owes a lot of his his uh, career to what mm. Matt Fraction did. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Tom mm. King's vision and certainly Mr. Miracle uh, play in a lot of those same um, fields that huh. that Hawkeye yeah. was playing in. Mm. 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 So yeah, my number, or not that we're doing numbers, but my first pick is Hawkeye by Matt Fraction and David. Mm. Yeah, yeah. When I saw this on your list, it was definitely one of those, phew, he did it so that I don't have to because it would be really hard to not put it on there. Um, For sure. Uh, but just quality, right? Number one, you know? And then... It's just fun. Yeah. Fun, yeah. quality books. So, yeah. so fun to read. And so much the book that you would want to give a friend who was just like, I'm out on superheroes. And you're like, no, there's, you know, there's different things. Right, right. You can, you can, again, they... You know, the, there was an Eisner winning book that was, you know, uh, Pizza is My Business or something like that. Yeah, where yeah, it was yeah. the uh, it was the the narrative done and all in in yeah. uh, pictographic dog speak, you yep. know, or pizza or dog. dog. Yeah, pizza <laughs> dog. And that kind of, uh, you know, thing you can hand to a person and yeah. who maybe isn't digging superhero comics and say, well, superhero comics isn't just beat em ups. It's, yeah. you know, there are exceptions to the rule for sure yeah 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 i have a signed pizza dog copy somewhere in my um, collection nice like much uh, and you know i think i bought it pretty close to when it came out and uh didn't even realize that that would be the issue that had the impact it did but it did it does sum up really nicely you know and and i think one reason like you said hawkeye is not only significant for itself but a trendsetter is like like that sort of boutique you run on artists and course things like that did exist where you not only commit to a creative team and their singular creative vision but you make allowances for issues coming you know in drips and drabs whenever (laughs) they can get to them um uh you know i think that that is they that existed in the past obviously but what seems um important about this one is that it set a tone for that that kind of unique artistic vision that that I agree with you. Things like Tom King's vision or Mr. Miracle and being so like quirky, you know, and so mm-hmm. like unique to that create those creators' vision. Um, and I think there's also a, a, a kind of artistic sensibility in um, Gabriel, you know, Walter Hernandez Walter um, in the vision and in uh, Mitch Jarrods in the in Mr. Miracle that also um, points to the david mazzucchelli style that david aha did so well yeah absolutely yeah. and all 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 definitely the same lineage for sure yeah yeah i guess another thought about hawkeye um is as a as a permission to superhero book for people like us and and you know i can note too i'm the same age bracket as you is like you know you're 30 
three, right? And right, and it's and you just realize more and more that the sort of capes and muscles and the sort of muscularity, the muscular masculinity, you know, right. of of those um, adolescent comics, not only isn't appealing to you anymore, is actually really problematic. You know, like, you're like, wow, what, what energies was I like, you know, <laughs> was I fueling as a, yeah. as a teenager reading this um, Rob Liefeld business? And... <laughs> And I think Hawkeye is, you know, I always think about like superheroes emerging in just pre-World War II and World War II era and what sort of like heroics and masculinity mean at that time. Um, and, you know, lots of good, but certainly lots of things that wind up over time aging into toxicity, you know. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then I, I was a big fan as a teenager, um, sort of post-comics, uh, as a teenager of like Marlon Brando and James Dean and and Steve McQueen and and Paul Newman and that's this lineage of I would say like a reaction in American culture that's counter to that masculinity right instead of a muscular masculinity more of a, a sort of like a, what becomes I think the the predecessors to to a norm core mumbly for sure yeah <laughs> you know, for sure you know masculinity that's very t-shirt and jeans and and very uh and and I think Hawkeye you know fraction and 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 aha uh-huh and uh really played that up but I think to me so did that so well and it's always what I think of I always think of Fraction and Aha first but to me what made this one tip over the edge was that the Annie Wu energy with Kate Bishop Hawkeye as a counterbalance was like kicked in at just the right time and with just the right energies that to me that spoke to what comics were going to become in 20 in the 2010s yeah that's such a good point it it I think it's the the I, I think Annie Wu in particular is like the she's the all star of that book. I mean yeah. she <laughs> she she comes out shining and yeah, yeah. You know that the book was plagued with delays and David mm-hmm. Aha is a tremendous talent, but certainly mm-hmm. takes a while with with his um art duties. Yeah. And Annie Wu not so much. And not right. only did she create a whole you know, opposite visual style to right. <laughs> uh, David Aha, more expansive panels, which also, you know, the scenery or the 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 change of of scenery for Kate yep. Bishop at that time during that yep. art certainly lent to those wider panels. Yeah, but it also just the whole vibe of the book, you know, changed. Yeah, Clint Clint Bishop or uh, Clint uh, Barton being you know, sort of stuck in a depression, which yeah. I thought that it was, you know, a very interesting thing for a superhero book to tackle Yeah, was, you know, his disability is him going deaf again and yeah. the depression yeah. that sprung out of it. But, you know, the, once the whole vibe changed with, with the Kate Bishop, you know, you, you, you did start to see, you know, um, that has a, her or that character and, and Annie Wu herself as a, mm-hmm. as a breakout star from that book. And, mm. And even, you know, that character, I think Kate Bishop has found more success in the ensuing years. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I, mean, I almost wish, like, I want to hold up Hawkeye as an exam- exemplar of, like, hey, you know, uh, white masculinity. <laughs> like, right, right. do not be afraid. You know, other voices pushing in is not going to erase you <laughs> you know yeah, exactly. th- there's like a kind of a 
a coexistence. There is a passing of the baton in that book, but yeah. there's also like a we can coexist, and you don't. In have fact, to there's be an even an uplifting. You know, yes. there not only is it you know will not erase you, it will uplift you. It will yes, enhance. That's right. Uh, you know, you as a as a as a human. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's such a special run. Yeah. Um, certainly, you know, not much. Uh, not much like it out there even today that's right. in in mainstream comics so that's right that's right yeah yeah for sure should i go to mine yeah do you have a fun uh, superhero book on the decade <laughs> list well this will surprise no one and I, no doubt you've been thinking about it um it's interesting though that i think i was contemplating this and i won't change my my answer at all but i was like yeah we're both in marvel you know like um and as much as like new 52 and and i, I had thoughts about you know just significant DC runs that existed. I just could not, no, nothing had this particular impact. Um, and so I had to go with Miss Marvel. Um, For and so sure. you, men- you mentioned Hawkeye um, about the 20, you know, sort of early part of the decade. Miss Marvel number one premieres 2014. I think it's February. Um, and written by G. Willow Wilson, of course, at the time, the main artist of that first arc is Adrian Alfona. There's that um, iconic Sarah Pacelli cover um, mm. in that first issue. And um, uh, the character debuted, you know, just the prior year in Captain Marvel 14. And, of course, we're talking about Carol Danvers as Captain Marvel. Um, right. But, uh, you know, Miss Marvel, great fun. And there's the, the feeling for many readers of um, this Pakistani-American teenager who is, you know, she and her family are Muslim and they are and she uh, is a fangirl who you know adores <laughs> Captain Marvel and um, that inhuman Terrigen mist comes and seizes her and she has this um, oh so metaphorically meaningful superpower of body <laughs> distortion you know where yeah. suddenly um, in ways she can and or has trouble controlling initially but then comes to find her way around adeptly she can grow and, and shrink and you know, like a, any adolescent figuring out a body that um, is always being policed and regulated, you you like find your body misproportioned all the time, but then that can turn around and become a superpower. So um, I named all those creators, of course. Sana Aminat, um, editor at Marvel, also deserves a ton of credit for the creation and the promotion of this character. And um, did uh, I, Jamie did Jamie McKelvey do the yes. the costume design? Yeah, thank you. Icon, yes. another iconic. Uh, Absolutely. facet to the character absolutely and yeah that, that that credit is is owed as well um and you know and just it was fun you know like i read miss marvel with my kid i've i've you know also given that as a gift to other people as a way to say like something different is happening and and you know heard from you know women teachers who were rightfully scared off by other comics to to say like this sure. is something different and great and I, I mean, I just, uh, I know, not to always come back to these identity politics, quote unquote, but like, again, for, you know, I'm not a Pakistani American, I'm not a girl, you know, just for it not to be the single one thing makes it possible for a connection for a lot of folks who are not that single one thing. Do you know what I mean? So Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Just, or just, just, go ahead. Mm-hmm. If you could just stop at teen. And you, right. you you grab in so many you know people that either are a teen or <laughs> remember what right. it's like to be one. So right, 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 right. But I mean, even just to say like um, that, not not just being another you know white male superhero, 
I think yeah, absolutely. for me, I was just like, yeah, absolutely. Like that the yeah. world, the whole world is broader. So, um, I mean, I feel like um, Kamala, I, I was almost protective of how quickly, I felt protectiveness about how quickly she was taken up by, in the Marvel Universe. You know, within a couple years, she's like leading champions or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, of course, it was, I think, really well-deserved because the character, I think Wilson crafted the character with such care. I think artists took different spins on it that really made us, as a consuming public, like start to give feedback to say, like, we like and appreciate and want this character to be this and not that, which I think... Mm-hmm artists um have been responsive to she takes this place as the sort of the new spider-man you know what spider-man was in the 60s and 70s to marvel um um miss marvel has really become and i think she's signaled to me she's a, a bellwether of that shift in superheroes that we've been talking about to the richness of of as such a played out word but to the richness of diversity or being able to be aspirational for more people on um different for different social identity groups and stuff so i i also just in saying all of that don't want to underplay that it's just fun comics you know Um, absolutely even some of the latter storylines in that run and in the next volume that came after it g willow wilson in her time in miss marvel consistently wrote all those elements of you know what made spider-man spider-man uh you know like the the question of friends and romance and questions mm-hmm. of of um you know balance and family place in life um but infused all those things in into it such as like what it's like to be an immigrant family and you know gentrification and all kinds of bigger social questions as well that were very present day um and so superheroes as not a heavyweight commentary on society but as like a um <laughs> a comfort food introduction digestible for, digestible still, yeah absolutely yeah um N- not weighty you know it's yeah but certainly with weight you know yes certainly it it posed questions and and made you think so absolutely yeah, yeah. so it was like substance without the the heaviness that um drowns you um, yeah, I'd, like to admit, I'd like to talk about uh, Alfona on art again. Oh, do it. Like, Go. In yeah. the same way that like Ditko like made Spider-Man such a weird, mm. you know, an iconically weird looking, you know, character. Alfona <laughs> yes. makes Captain Marvel so expressive with yeah, the, yeah, with Marvel, the yeah. art. Mm. Just just a phenomenal run on the book and yeah. and the perfect artist for not only for the character, but for the powers too. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't think of Miss Marvel without thinking of Alfona's like stretchy hands. Yeah, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's something about that quality too. And I don't. This might be you know colorist. Did Alfona ink ink his own art? Ah, uh, that I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I not should sure. have done some research. Anyway, <laughs> I think that the um, <laughs> there's a quality to the finish of that book that's like not so hard hard edges. Mm-hmm. And it, it kind of almost has this sort of like, um, to me, like a old family photographs feel about it in the in the color oh, yeah. palette. Yeah. And, the, um, and and I think that was really important in not in making this world, which, you know, obviously to like a, another Pakistani American teenager might be very familiar. But to, to, to people who are from different cultural backgrounds, you know, it felt like home felt very much like home. And, um, you know, um, her family, her parents felt very 
much like loving and worried parents, you know. And, and so there was a, a again a quality um, of both what 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 should be strange was really strange when she embiggened, mm-hmm. and what was what should be comfortable and familiar actually, um, because it's something that's universal or because it's something that's relatable was so, and that was carried off really well by Alfona's art. Uh, Absolutely, I agree. Such a great so, book, and I yeah. know you struggled with with placing it in you know either Ms. Marvel or or Miles Morales yeah. uh, in in this in this slot, and I think either choice would have been would have been great. I think you went with the stronger choice, but for sure, mm. Mm. Uh, you know Ms. Marvel or or Ultimate Spider Man and Miles Morales yeah. would yeah. be perfect uh, as a as a emblematic of the decade. So yeah, yeah. I mean here here too is where I went a little bit with. I think Miles was bigger in 2010 just for by virtue of the fact of starting earlier and ending mm-hmm. with End of the Spider-Verse, right? Yeah. yeah I mean, oh, I would yeah. say if you did a survey of kids, boys and girls, probably Miles is slightly more recognizable at this point. But okay. I think Kamala better represents maybe what um, we're, we're looking at into the 2020s, you know? I think she's um, certainly more the spirit of the right. old, the the original Spider-Man concept, yeah. you know, yeah. of... of um, not not that Miles isn't, but yeah, you yeah. know, just it's it's just a I think it's just a stronger outing by yeah. creators uh, 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 with a stronger voice. Yeah, yeah, and I guess part of the point is we don't have to either or it, right? <laughs> Miles, no, is awesome yeah, no, no, Miles is awesome too. Miles is awesome too. In uh, fact, Spider Verse might be you know the greatest comic book movie, yeah, you know of all time. You know, just a, just an all timer. Yeah, yeah, and made you know and. You know, and that and it doesn't work without Miles Morales. So yeah, yeah. So let me throw a question out at you. Um, sure. Fair warning about it. That um, I don't know. I, I think I like our two picks, and they it mm-hmm. strikes me that they're both sort of like groundbreaking. That they're both Marvel in a in a in a decade that was like really owned by the Marvel Cinematic Universe as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But like any forecasts of superhero dumb since you know we're after this. These two books were going to leave superhero comics. Um, any forecasts about the 2020s and superheroes? Any thoughts to you about where we are? Maybe even just at this moment, and who knows what happens in two years? But you know, I want to say that there will be more books like Copra out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Copra was almost a book that 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 supplanted Hawkeye. Uh, <laughs> a book that I I truly love. It's 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 comic book DIY. Yeah, <laughs> you know, done good. I love it, and and it still takes all the the pastiche from from superhero comics. Wears yeah. it on sleeve and does a great job with making it its own thing. Yeah, yeah. But you know, as as these as our favorite characters are tied into to just monolithic corporate entities. Yeah, I really can't say what they will be other than as as you know facets of selling merchandise and selling movies mm-hmm, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. you know while i have my fingers crossed that we will see more hawkeye like books in the future and maybe they will maybe you know comics will just be um that that niche hobby that is still mm-hmm. allowed to do what it wants mm-hmm, mm-hmm. more and more i fear that you know it'll just be a, a, another way to sell sell what's sure. on on your streaming device <laughs> and that is a very that is a very you know <laughs> pessimistic view. Help me out, Paul. Give no, me your, no, no. Well, <laughs> give me yeah, yeah. I, I guess. Huh. 
I, I, so how I feel at this moment, this is going to be painful association for you to hear, <laughs> but I kind of feel like, but, but hear me out is what I'm saying. I feel sure. like Copra is going to live in the same place as something like the Joker movie, which is where I it might see, but, but also something like Logan, which is to say superheroes have been around and in our consciousness and the consciousness of, you know, your JJ Abrams nerds or your John Favreau nerds, mm-hmm. um, for so long that they will continue to fuel pop culture creation as a commentary on who we are and, 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 and how we idealize things or, or an reaction against, you know, C, CF Watchmen, right? That will still be there as fodder for, for at least this decade and for much time to come. But I feel like our picks reflect, maybe Miss Marvel in particular, that like we are of an increasingly niche pop culture society right and so sure. you know joker was not trying to be uh, a movie for everybody and you know it, it was it did pretty darn well box mm-hmm. office wise but it wasn't trying to be avengers endgame it knew it, it couldn't be and i think that um there's still a stream like because because right like us 40 year olds you know we can all go to our separate streaming services and our separate <laughs> right. recommendation rabbit holes but kids are still kids in the playground together do you know what I mean? And they, they still influence each other and consume some diet of <laughs> Disney monoculture. Yes. Sure. <laughs> but, sure. but I just feel like there, as much as we may feel like segmented as a society and there is no consensus, quote unquote, mainstream superhero that it feels mm-hmm. that way, you know. And so should, should we all just kind of go into our respective corners and love our Copra or love our Joker or love our logan you know there's there's still i think a strong dose of kids love iron man you know and and kids love wonder woman and and i think that there's still a vitality that for me like a kamala show coming uh, a miss marvel show coming to disney plus is uh to me a, a good bellwether of where superheroes might go in 2020 well i certainly hope that that can funnel itself down to you know comic creators still yeah. being able to tell stories that that have resonance mm-hmm. and are not yeah. just yeah. and are not just you know uh, uh marketing tools mm-hmm. yeah, yeah 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 and yeah. you know and and to be honest diversity and uh, things of that nature have been weaponized in a way uh that i don't think that you know um <laughs> i just think that uh well yeah, let, let's back this up. Let's back. <laughs> I mean, I, I I think what scares me. It, tell me if this is a little bit of what you're thinking. What scares me is that um, co- superhero comics are always susceptible to being part of a giant marketing machine, and that a notion of diversity, which is can can be very token, can get, get eaten up in that. Yeah, co opted yeah. by that. Is that is that anyone yeah, what you're like, saying? Yeah, kind of. You know, what makes Kamala Khan special isn't that she's part of the Marvel Universe. It's that she's Mm -hmm. Kamala Khan. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. I think if you just lump her in with, you know, I I don't think that a lot of I I take, you know, they did a great job with Miles Morales in Mm Spider-Verse and they showing, Mm -hmm. you know, showing him as a character. I hope that that I hope that that can, you know, yeah, be seen in other things than just one movie in the decade. Right. Because sure. you don't get yeah. that. You don't really get, you know, any sense of, you know, 
Falcon's uh, <laughs> blackness in the Avengers movies or mm-hmm. who he is as a person. Mm-hmm. So uh, my hope is that these aren't just <laughs> these aren't just marketing you know, gimmicks Yeah, that that we can really see these characters for who they are and the potential of who they, they can be. Yeah. And, and can I say like, there's a, maybe a note of not pessimism, but like concern that I, I really take to heart too. Just as an example, I was thinking recently about Falcon and that new, um, what is it? Falcon and winter soldier show that's coming. Right. Mm -hmm. And just thinking like, there's a there's a good chance that with the Eternals coming out and this really diverse Eternals cast and then with Falcon and then with like, a you know, even you heard it a little bit when Captain Marvel came out that like mm-hmm. at the same time that the MCU becomes more diverse and we know how significant the MCU is in people's impression of superheroes. Right. right? The, at the same time that the MCU becomes more diverse, it's phase five or something. And right. people are going to start like slagging on the movies or saying like, ah, they're, they, they're, they're not as good as they used to be. And that will come simultaneous to, oh, look, and the central characters mm-hmm. are, you know, non-white males. And, you know, somebody blame one to... thing for the other. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, like, you know. Oh, oh, so familiar story for marginalized people. Exactly. Like, you know, exactly. like there's a big scene, and once we start showing up in it, it starts to become like, oh, this sucks. Exactly. You know, and I think I so so I I I think that's a um a real live thing going on in comics and in superhero yeah. comics in particular. Um, and, and on the other hand, there's notes within it, and I think you were speaking to this too that that do give you hope, that do feel like. You know, like into the Spider Verse might be actually a better indicator of what will actually happen, which is just I sure hope so. I sure hope going so. nuts and 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 you know, minds being blown and uh, the, the boundaries <laughs> expanding. So, all right, so we will see. I you know yeah. that's actually a really good kind of statement. I think to, of things that you and I are watching for as we read comics. So I'm glad that we we dove into this hole. You know, sure. Yeah. Um, where to next uh <laughs> should we climb us out i mean yeah. i think your next pick is a great way to go from there actually i think so especially uh since it's you know it's been optioned for a movie by spike lee mm-hmm. uh so my second pick um first published in 2012 by vertigo that's but, right i forgot that but but preferentially published by <laughs> image comics in 2016 in fact yes. vertigo if you know they've had you know many missteps but the biggest disservice i can think of in by vertigo in this decade is is what they how they published or chose to publish prince of cats by mm-hmm. ron wimberly mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um for those unfamiliar with prince of cats it's um it's basically a uh it's even self self-described as the b-side uh, to one of the most famous stories of all time mm-hmm. uh, romeo and juliet yeah um tybalt being the main character uh, in this version, Tybalt right. is referenced as being the Prince of Cats uh, in a line and in, in the play. Yep. And and I know you've already done an episode about it many moons ago, but uh, you know I think this book is just so special to me. You know mm-hmm. i I don't know how I came across it. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I wasn't big into in the comics and. 2012 i was grabbing a couple of books here and there i think mm-hmm. hawkeye being one of them and uh even in this small digest size form that it was originally published in it still kind of blew me away mm-hmm. the um it's this um you know comics have a great way of just being what i kind of call like the junk drawer of all 
media or all the, of all art medias. You know, yeah. they just they take from so many influences. Yeah, and in such an sometimes it feels effortless. In such an effortless way, they just mash them up, just like great hip hop, and that's what uh, mm. that's what Prince of Cats is doing. It's a mashup yeah. of hip hop, Shakespeare, mm. uh, samurai films uh, like Kurosawa, and even manga mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. influences. Yeah, uh, and all in the backdrop of of this like neon graffiti stained '80s New York, uh, mm-hmm. New York City, mm-hmm. and sort of like gang uh, culture. I I think of like movies like The Warriors, or The Last yeah. Dragon. Yes. Yeah. And uh, and it's just such a wonderful. Um, again, like uh, it's it's a, it's a remix. You know, it's it's a hip hop mm-hmm. remix, mm-hmm. and just one of the best versions of that that comics has to offer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agree. Hard agree. <laughs> uh, I, I missed it when it came out in 2012. Like you, I was in a, a thinner time of my comics reading, but um, I think I picked it up a year, a couple years later, on some commentary about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, it was in a run up to sort of rehyping it and in preparation for the image uh, release. And I got to hear Wimberly talk about it at an image expo um, back then. And yet, what what Wimberly was, besides being a really kind of like energetic and charismatic personality, mm-hmm. was this fount of references and illusions. <laughs> so for sure. So you know, he was talking about on what in one breath, you know, um, Wu Tang Clan um, and samurai movies, and uh, and in the same breath, like um, Basquiat, and you know. Art, art stuff that I didn't yeah, know absolutely. anything about, you know, mm-hmm. and that's like you said, that grimy eighties, uh, uh, New York city feel. And so I think it's this great distillation that I'm glad it got the sort of late decade revival that it got. It's been not only republished by image, but sort of like reissued again and again, I think mm-hmm. because it continues, it was sort of very before its time. And, and then, of, of its time <laughs> sure. or it's still still before its time in many ways so um yeah it's a good one it's a good one for showing um can we call it image mainstream <laughs> adjacent right <laughs> like, oh yeah yeah I think you know mainstream. Yeah, yeah 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 it's it's a good example of the um i i guess the the, the potential or the the openness of mainstream adjacent comics to um to this kind of story to this kind of um like artistic distillation of influences to do something really interesting and i mean lord knows how many um of us were exposed to romeo and juliet in high school sure (laughs) the purveyor of that often (laughs) i was gonna say you even taught it correct yeah i sure did lots of times that uh (laughs) i knew that prince of cats reference uh a tybalt act three scene one or something you know like (laughs) right but i i think um absolutely that um the turn the twist on it to take this like um kind of villain and, and really see in that character a um you know an opening for thinking about who you know why people are enraged uh, why people feel protective over their own to turn that character into a protagonist was a was a was a really powerful choice. There's there are so many easy outs that Ron Wimberly could have taken and still done a a decent book, but he he really leans into doing something different with Shakespeare, mm-hmm. and I think that's important. 
Yeah, yeah. And um, and not so not only does he take this minor character and and turn him into the the hero of the piece, mm-hmm. he, he, you know, I don't know that we've mentioned this, but he even like adapts uh, Shakespearean, you know, um, linguistically. Yeah, 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 yeah. So these characters are all speaking in t- at times in iambic pentameter and yeah, you know yeah. very poetically. You know, there's a oh, I'm trying to find a some of my favorite lines like "Redeem thy kicks for thy skin." You know, it's like <laughs> yes, which we own forthwith for this grievous offense. You know, it's just right, right. it's so um, you know it's it's anachronistic, but mm-hmm, you yeah. could still you know. It's it's so easy to jump into redeem my right. kicks. I mean, that's so, you know, <laughs> you, you immediately, you know, it's not hard to to parse what they're talking about yeah. as Shakespeare can sometimes be. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, hmm. So Ron Wimberly is just, you know, stylistically, you know, visually and and with linguistics just mm-hmm. knocks it out of the park. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah, and there's something to that um, sort of hip hop remix thing, which is both, um, you know, credited to the black community and something that is just, you know, there's a reason why hip hop t- is taken over the world, you know, <laughs> and yeah. um, and really speaks to where we were in the decade and where we are even now in 2020. Um, I think they even reissued another. <laughs> another edition this past year of of prince of cats so yeah keep, yeah as we find that you know as the world grows smaller and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and cultures get blended i mean hip-hop is such a perfect uh artistic distillation of of that mm-hmm. of that blending you know it's mm-hmm. taking so many so many different styles and references mm-hmm. and and the you know reappropriating them for for something new and mm-hmm. and 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 cool and with lots of swagger yeah and and prince of cats uh and even comics knows how to do that as well yeah and that yeah. and that's what's and that's what's great about about both yeah and yeah. and and again wimberly just you know his finger was on the pulse on that one yeah 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 and i, I guess i gotta say about wimberly I, I approached this with some caution hmm Maybe it also speaks to the challenge of that impulse, which is that, you know, of what is public, right? Like Wimberly announced various projects that haven't yet come to publication, which is not Mm -hmm. to say they won't, you know, like clearly uh, an artist of that genius needs their time and we're going to grant it to Fraction and AHA and we're we're certainly going to allow it. Um, but but just in terms of, and to me, like those projects not yet existing in our hands, is not like a, a flaw of Wimberly's character. It's the fact, and you know, he's been at work with Lab and this various mm-hmm. other projects. You know, so so continues to be productive. But I I do feel that there's a way where certain amounts of of genius are then laden with a kind of pressure to deliver remixes of such like such brilliance that it becomes really hard to to to, to have projects come through i mean yeah you know, i'm i'm gonna butcher the quote but i think it's mm-hmm. um you know some some artist, music artist said 
Hmm. First album is always the easiest. It's the second mm-hmm. that's ki- the killer. For sure. So how do you, you know, how do you not only give the people what you, you know, you know, they want, but mm-hmm. how do you do it in terms, you know, on your own terms? Yeah. How do yeah. You, how do you grow? Yeah. And, um, you know, and he's, he's certainly done other, other comics work. You're right. Like lab and, mm-hmm. and, you know, issues of other, you know, mainstream comics here and there, but, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. yeah, we're, you know, it's like Raphael grandpa, you know, he, he's, <laughs> you know, another artist of, of, genius proportions who mm-hmm. is rarely comes out you know out out from hiding mm-hmm. and it has a lot of stuff announced but rarely does it come to sure. fruition sure and i think sure. a lot of that is is the weight of not only being influenced by so many different things maybe mm-hmm. like following those impulses into other fields even you know sure right ha- has his, done, right? yeah has his time mm-hmm. as uh wimberley's time you know in Hollywood, you know, pulled him in that direction. Does he see himself mm-hmm, as a director? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Which you know, like, like let's blame comics for that. You know, oh yeah, like, absolutely. Because yeah, as as you said, junk drawer. Like it's like some crazy labor for a, for a system that just is not is on one hand culture's non appreciation mm-hmm. of comics, and on the other hand, is the industry's like. Um, dark sides that really keep certain things in ghettos or, you know, like keep certain things in, in, um, in boxes. And I I don't know. I mean, I think I I feel like I feel both, um, you know, to talk, talk about the one that we're talking about now and to talk about my next thing, there are certain ways that the work itself has to fight against being, placed in certain boxes mm-hmm. and and to to push to have to say like we have broader cultural relevance stop putting us in this box um yeah. and and you know that means that it's doomed to um be fighting that battle and that's exhausting you know and yeah, i just don't know yeah. that that like an artist wants to stay there um or or maybe more accurate to say can be forgiven for not not wanting to toil away at that forever sure i mean comics will break your heart (laughs) (laughs) indeed uh yeah you know we'll we'll talk about it a little later but you know the uh ron wimberly had the the great essay Mm -hmm. uh was a light lighten up yeah something like that Yeah, yeah 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 Yeah, and that talks about his time in comics and just what exactly it means for a for a you know a black artist right. you know just getting work you know right. just and the expectations placed upon them yeah to yeah. you know and it's um, you can't blame him for maybe not not seeing much of him you know yeah. certainly yeah. Uh, not in the in the jobber field you know the work right. for hire stuff so right 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 yeah. Well, let's carry this over into my next uh, (laughs) significant comic of the decade, which is The Art of Charlie Chan Hock Chai. Um, In 2016, this came out in uh, in the U.S. through Pantheon, and I forget the uh, first publisher's name, but in other parts of the world. Um, But Sonny Liu, um, who is uh, a delightful human being and Mm -hmm. somebody I've had the privilege of talking to, 
is also uh, created this amazing work that um, you know uh, for some people who somehow um, listen to this podcast but missed this book um, is about a comic artist um, Chan Hock Chai uh, who um, grows up in Singapore you know works in Singapore over the span of time that the the comics greats from around the world did their work you know you're as you mentioned Ditko's and Kirby's um, your um, your uh, uh 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 shoot i'm blanking on <laughs> the entire history of comics right now you know you're, you're everyone from your will eisner's to um uh you know you name them right um yeah and so the book um really masterfully weaves together what is a biography of this comic creator chan hak chai who many readers did not realize was fictional <laughs> is created for this book mm-hmm. um and um you know, uh, this creator weaving his way through the 50s, 60s, 70s, and uh, ties that to the the history of Singapore's um, politics and culture, um, because this, this artist resides very much in Singapore. And so it becomes really emblematic of um, Singapore's um, unique place in the world, economically and culturally, and the ways that it is this... Um, uh, I don't know. It's it's you know Singaporean culture is its own, but it's also suffused with influences from East and West, and so because of that, it can you know the art of Charlie Chan Hock Chai as a book by Sunny Liu does a ton of brilliant um, illusion, um, almost I don't know parody of of these great comics artists. You know mm-hmm. your your Kurtzman and. And, yeah. uh, you know, East and West, right? And Sunny Lou does a remarkable job of replicating the art, art styles of this. So it's it's Lou doing Chan Hock Chai, doing all of these different styles. And, um, you know, much more than imitation and much more than, I think, like mimicry, there's, there's actually, um, to me in the whole book, it reads like somebody who says, hey, look, <laughs> we... Singapore, right? Have yeah. have have really um, worked our butts off, taking in the influence of all these different uh, forces, cultural and economic forces in the world, the imaginative and the material culture of the world, and then we've reproduced it with our own spin of of brilliance and struggle for freedom and so on, and yet still nobody knows who this guy is. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's like we've done all this, and and so to me, it is all the sort of like hope and promise of our world becoming global, and and sort of the transnationality of our lived experiences. All the hope and promise of that, and all the disappointment of like you can do all of this, you can sort of like digest the world and spit out this something amazing, and still you make no noise because you're in the wrong location. You know, what I mean? and and so yeah. I, I feel like. Um, I mean, obviously, Singapore does not make no noise. It is like a giant of a city, you know. Um, mm-hmm. It's a super, it's a mega city. Um, but I just mean that sense that there's um, that I think many of us feel of living in a world stage, and yet it just makes you feel both how big and how small, how tiny you are um, in the grand scheme. Um, <laughs> and but but as comics, you know, as a work of comics, the book is just um, utterly amazing. And um, so, yeah. It's it's a, I mean I you know I don't use this word lightly, but it is a virtuosic performance yes. by Sonny yeah. Lou. It yeah, is yeah, yeah. incredible. I I came to this book 
from your podcast. I mm-hmm. had no, I had no idea it was even a thing, but I recognized <laughs> the name Sonny Lou. I had been a mm-hmm. huge fan of uh, My Faith in Frankie. Yeah, which I think was Vertigo, an old yeah. maybe Vertigo book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that he did yeah. in the early two thousands, and I'm like, yeah. oh, well, he's a he was an interesting artist. It was fun yeah. and cartoony, and <laughs> and the book was silly, and I liked yeah. it. Uh, I enjoy, and I certainly enjoyed the art enough. And I was like, okay, well, let me check this book out. And I got the mm-hmm. book, and it is an incredible, uh, just artifact mm-hmm. in itself mm-hmm. of just mm-hmm. not only uh, of uh, Singaporean culture, but just yeah. uh, uh, East and West comics <laughs> in this, you know, just just beautiful, yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, heartbreaking uh, a blend right, uh, right. Um, just just incredible and I mm-hmm. it's so hard to get um, historical books right mm-hmm. you know I, mm-hmm. I think of like um, it reminded me a lot of like Louis Real which had a lot of yeah. like politics that you, you're not familiar with to yeah. kind of like disseminate yeah Chester and it Brown's takes a, a... Chester yeah. Brown's account of the uh, Canadian uh, indigenous hero. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot of work to make that not only interesting, but, you know, readable in a comic format. And, right. and that he's doing that and telling, you know, this, this individual's, this, you know, story all the while. Yeah. It's just, yeah. a, he's a symphony conductor in this really. I mean, Absolutely. he's doing so many different things. I also, yeah. it also made me think of, um, uh, the Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay by Michael yeah. Chabon, the the hmm. the, you know, the great novel <laughs> that also kind of follows you know 40, 50 years of comics. Yes. And whereas um, Chabon found a way to do that um, through prose to kind of like mm-hmm. uh, mimic a Kirby esque uh, or a Lee and Kirby esque yeah. duo. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, Sonny Lou finds a way to. <laughs> Not do just Lee and Kirby, but all these different, <laughs> you know, art styles. It's incredible. You know, a few months ago they had um, a trending hashtag on Twitter about like, mm. show me your different art. You know, art Twitter was like, show me your different, mm. what different art styles you can work in. And people mm, were just mm, mm. showing you, you know, these just incredible <laughs> like variations on their styles Mm. and and Mm. this that's what sunny lou is doing here and you you know you think you think you know some people you know i don't want to name any you know any professional (laughs) names but you know some people they have one style you know right rob leaf rob liefeld has one style (laughs) right right right, he's not gonna mind mentioning that he has one style right right to do more than one is to me just incredible and to do Mm. as many as Mm. sunny lou here did is just it blew my mind. It, yeah, you know, that's yeah. certainly my book of that year for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and just to touch back on what you're saying, to I mean, I, and maybe to build up even more the feat that's involved, like Louis Real <laughs> um, was really good, but you know Chester Brown relied on a very iconic and abstract style because mm-hmm. there, although there are some notes of the world, the the you know actual manifest world that historical world that it came from. You know, could could rely on the simplicity of line and design to tell a, yeah. a really sort of potent story, it's, but you know, didn't maybe didn't have to or or didn't have have you know didn't do the the ton of both sort of like historical and aesthetic research, right? 
Whereas Lou is is like studying photographs of certain streets in Singapore from 1972 or whatever, and and you know viewing it through the lens of of um, you know a Tezuka aesthetic or a um, a uh, 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 you know Walt Kelly aesthetic. You know, like there's there's um, both the actual concrete historical that he's rendering and the filters of these various artistic you know, styles that he's drawing them through. Um, and, you know, Chabon does an amazing thing in Cavalier and Clay. It's rightfully, mm-hmm. you know, recognized and prized, but gets to do it just in prose, right? Where, right, right. Where Lou does it through art. It's that that just sort of speaks to the feat of what uh, he accomplishes. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, put taken together, I just feel like um, Art of Charlie Chan Hock Chai and Prince of Cats uh, Wimberly and Lou both kind of point to how comics in the decade did things that continued to push the horizons of what comics could represent and mm-hmm. could do. Um, and I don't know, you know, comics all the while global. paying all the while paying homage to so much. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. so much, so much homage. Um, so, yeah, I think that those are great picks. I pat ourselves <laughs> on the back. <laughs> Um, All right. Where do you go next? All right. I'm going to go maybe to my most, I don't know if it's controversial, but yeah, let's, let's call it controversial. I know it it has its detractors, but my next pick is uh, image comics saga by Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. Mm -hmm. Uh, It started in 2012 and still running to this day, although it's currently on hiatus. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a very, I would say adult take on on classic on the classic um, star-crossed lovers tale, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm not so sure. I think Fiona Staples a little un- a little younger, but Brian K. Vaughn is certainly a Gen Xer, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and growing mm-hmm. up with Star Wars, you know, certainly he's a fan. Uh, mm-hmm. It obviously bleeds through in in his writing, and he wanted you know I think he wanted a space fantasy that spoke not to the the kid in him, but to the adult in him. And all right. of the trappings of adulthood, right? Uh, marriage, kids, uh, the loss of parents, yeah. yeah, and and something that's not really specific to Gen Xers, but anybody who's come into adulthood in the past twenty years in America, in or in a world at, or a country at war, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and I think that's uh, a pretty important. Um, these are all pretty, pretty important touchstones, certainly in my life, uh, but in many people's lives. And a lot of people mm-hmm. have connected uh, with that book because of these these issues and not shying away, mm-hmm. being very frank about sex and and uh, relationships and, and childhood and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um, imprisonment and <laughs> you know sexual and um, gender. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's just, a, you know, Brian K. Vaughan is who he is. I think we all know that he knows how to tell a story. And those stories mm-hmm, are mm-hmm. often formulaic in, the, in their structure. Mm-hmm. You know, he definitely plans for the 22 or 26 page reveal to punch it up, <laughs> you know, for, for the next arc or the next story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, um, you know, it's 
it's with a sincerity that should be appreciated and an earnestness mm, 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 in a world mm, mm. in a world today where we're you know it's like the postmodern you know <laughs> you know everything is ironic or ironic mm, 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 um there's an earnestness with this book that i think um just isn't touched upon quite enough especially in in adult reading you know mm, I, mm, I, I, I certainly think there are comics you know we we just talked about um ms marvel that is very yeah. honest and sincere mm. but uh, certainly genre stuff uh has a tinge of of um cynicism with it and i don't yeah. think this has that yeah 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 um mm. certainly it, it digests big issues but um with uh with a sense of of trying to appreciate all of it because <laughs> you only have mm -hmm. one life you know and mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and even growing up in during wartime you know life goes on and families right. you still find love and you still you know uh, marriages you know begin and end uh, right. all all in this scope of of a star war around you <laughs> and i think that's mm -hmm. i think that's a pretty special story being told mm -hmm. and i can't wait to see how it how it ends up yeah yeah we still got a ways to go but i'm staring at the collections the big volumes mm -hmm. right in front of me here um, beautiful beautiful collections this was the book that you had on your list that, you know, I said earlier, you had one that I was like, phew. And then this was the one that I was like, darn, you know, because you can't talk about the 2010s. I mean, I think this was the first title that came to mind when I was trying to sum up the decade of comics because Saga, I mean, for so many people our, our age and who have been maybe like in and out of comics was something mm -hmm. to pull you back in and to say like, this, you know, is good. It's for grownups, you know, it's like, it's, um, but, but I, I think I love your analysis of how, you know, it's trying to, it's trying to be boundary breaking and mm -hmm. penises and, you know, like, so, <laughs> and, 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 you know, parenthood and it just takes, it, it's very oriented toward adults, but has not lost, um, that bottom line of warmth and, and, and hopefulness and family that, you know, may, someone may judge it as trite, but we still live in our daily life. You know, I still right. wake up for my daughter's sake, which is something that, you know, you get Marco, you see Marco doing. And mm -hmm. that's not cheesy. That's my life. And so there's there's a way where um, Vaughn and Staples have really um, captured, captured that um, and uh, revived it in comics. And I, I'm glad to, that we're going with this instead of Walking Dead. Because oh, for sure, know, yeah. I think Walking Dead is a is a bigger maybe cultural force and has a bigger cultural footprint. But I think, to be honest, I think I feel like Saga will have a longer lasting one. Um, in, I think it, so. Just in terms of yeah. you know the comics that come in its wake, like I feel like Walking Dead summed up a lot of things, but didn't necessarily. And and yeah, there's plenty of Walking Dead like things in its wake, but the things that came as a legacy of Walking Dead aren't to me the things that are necessarily surviving in comics. The things to me that came in the wake of Saga are the things that are proliferating new, and this is a gross overgeneralization, but like mm -hmm. are proliferating a lot of new ideas and new, new like, Yeah, to be quite honest, I never really caught on with Walking Dead, so I only know it from <laughs> like, from really like the, 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 its cultural effect and more mm -hmm. specifically the, the cultural effect of the, the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I, I, you know, I do feel like both books, as far as I know, mm. they do focus on found family mm-hmm. and, yeah, and that's important. Yeah, yeah. But where I think, where I think walking dead man has a little bit more of a nihilistic approach. Yeah. There's, there's definitely a hope in saga that, yeah. And an optimism that I think, you know, because the, you know, things seem so dire and dour. Yeah. Right. We, we latch on to that hope. Right. 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 You know, whereas the walking dead, it feels like it just appeals to the, the fear in us, you know, the, yeah, yeah. that, mm. that things will turn that sour and that yeah. xenophobic. Right. And, right. And right. saga doesn't feel that way. Saga feels like just when you think, you know, where the story is going and, and then the villain becomes a friend or, right. or an ally. And, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. so it's, mm. it's with that kind of like sentiment, <laughs> you know, I, I wrote in the notes and I think you saw it. It's, we're definitely the cheesiest around our, our families, you know, <laughs> and, yes, we are. <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with that. There's yeah. that's, that's where we feel the most love. And yeah, that's, yeah. and to, to be able to express that in comics, we shouldn't be afraid of that and we shouldn't like yeah. shy away from it. It may, you know, maybe, maybe it is again, a little trite, but mm. where's, what's the harm in being trite if the, <laughs> the intention is good, you know? Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think it, that to me, it's important that in the ways that it is um, transgressive, right. Or, mm-hmm. you know, things that maybe some of what's transgressive about it in 2012 feel to us now in 2020 like yeah it's not so bad you know <laughs> but like <laughs> right, right. in the ways that it's transgressive it's actually part of normalizing whatever is transgressive in the, in being in that kind of a story you know what i'm saying yeah. like if you have like oh, yeah. like gender queer characters and then the whole story is like about like you know you know that nihilistic living on the edge of of right oppressive mm-hmm. controlled society as opposed to like yeah you have gender queer folks who are just part of Mm-hmm. loving families you know <laughs> that, exactly. that it's, it has that normalizing effect I, I think that the this the other thing about saga to me is um i liked it as a story and again like you know people came to comic shops just for saga you know mm-hmm. and that ties a little bit into my next thing which is that that it's about part of it is about to me the health of and the vibrancy of um the medium you know and I think Saga was so significant to that that it's part of what defined the 2010s for me too. Yeah, we and we talk about you know the the medium and how it's presented, and we haven't mentioned, and I feel like a jerk for not mentioning it, but Fiona Staples' art and her colors yeah. and her yeah. and and the um, the lettering, you know, hand yes. hand right. lettering, right? It, you know, it all presents a very warm. You, you know, even when the book is about war mm. or, you know, the backdrop of war, mm, mm. it's such a warm book. Uh, mm. you know, the colors, you know, you look at those, you know, I know you say you look at those hardcovers, all, mm. you know, very mm. pastel, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and very kind, gentle, gentle colors that, yeah. that just kind of bleed like family and, yeah. and, and optimism in her. Yeah. Not only is her art great, it's also like, crazy you know i think yeah, vaughn right. is vaughn has just let her kind of do her thing like what right. does she want to draw i here is a space thing draw it yeah do yeah. what you want yeah. here yes. is a 
a giant planet baby draw the giant planet baby <laughs> do what you want yeah. so there's been a lot of opportunities for just left turns yeah. in the art yeah. that are unexpected and in very fun ways and right. i don't think uh, I, I don't think I could mention that enough, and I'm oh, sorry absolutely. that I mentioned it at the end. <laughs> it's so late. No, no, no. Yeah. Right, right. No, in- inclusive because it's. it's I, I would, for me, the um, preceding conversation has been about um, Staples' design and art sure. as much as it is about Vaughn's storytelling. Um, for sure. But yeah, you just look at characters like you know, um, ah, you know, the characters to me, like Marco and Alana, of course, are like the center of and and the uh, shoot. What's the daughter's name? Hazel. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Hazel, yeah. Right, Hazel Isabel, right? That's the the center, but you know, the will and um and I forget the name of the sort of spider-legged um oh you know, yeah, love who resurfaces. And and Prince Robot, you know, just Prince Robot, yeah. Lion Cat, right? The whole constellation Gus. of characters. Yeah, Gus, Goose, whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah. That whole constellation of characters um are so striking and so original and that is, mm-hmm. you know, owed so much to to staples is not just design of the characters but making them alive on the page that that to me is every bit as much as the sort of like page turning storytelling and world building of of what Va- uh, vaughn contributes um yeah, that makes this book significant you know I, I i almost would say that like vaughn brought some things that were new but actually staples is aesthetic is even more impactful in terms of what's followed from it you know um how many people have been influenced by it so um yeah i don't know uh, agree you know totally agree with you here on saga and and uh should i go to my next one but this one in 2010 i was actually a little surprised how early it came out but um to me it had like a lot of books on our list an initial good splash but it really had a second and third and fourth life you know uh, in the on the stands and this would be smile um by Raina telgemeier from scholastic uh, i don't think it was even graphics at the time i think it was like smile was doing so well and uh mm-hmm. that they started the graphics line to essentially contain character uh, uh works like smile and um and so reina of course is the really the queen of the decade i think the, the beat recently named her the the you know comics creator personality impact maker of the decade um and any glance at uh the once existing, then no longer existing, and now existing again, New York Times bestseller, mm-hmm. <laughs> bestsellers and comics list will tell you that um, it's really been the decade of Reina. Um, and I think Reina's um, uh, footprint and sort of the boom in kids' comics and graphic novels, which are all over libraries and bookstores and have taken over bestseller lists, not just of comics and graphic novels, but period. Um, you know, I, you know, there's there's other things that could go here. Dave Pilkey's Dogman and and mm-hmm. before that, you know, Captain Underpants and Captain all this stuff. Yeah. But I think Reina is the purest to me legacy carrier of past comics as well as, you know, has drawn in the audience that defines this next um you know not even next but current um uh you know group of new comics readers that will be the comics readers of the future and and i think the thing to say about those comics readers is that they're not comics readers they're just readers Mm -hmm. you know like they're not um people who will become the rabid fans crawling through comic shops they're the people who like my kid will just have a shelf full of books and among them will be many graphic novels and that they're almost 
not that not differentiated into like I'm a comic book nerd or whatever, but a reader yeah. reads this and a reader reads that, and um, and I think that um, the boom in um, kids and YA graphic novels that um, <laughs> let's put it side by side with things like Frozen and Fortnite. I don't know <laughs> whatever, whatever the kids are doing. Like um, it, it's um, it is not only you know it's been said often that this is the next generation of comics readers i think actually not only is it that it's also the maybe only commercially viable this generation of comics readers you know like kids don't um pirate comics yeah. <laughs> like, like kids actually buy books and mm-hmm. parents still buy books for their kids where we have all long gotten lost uh, reading articles on the internet, so yeah. so just flat out the the um, the viability of reading and publishing has been very much, I think, continued, sustained, held on by um, the boom in these books. And um, Smile is a an important um, you know whatever watermark in that. For sure. Do you um, do you consider it her best work? No. Not by a long yeah. shot. In fact, yeah. I, I actually, so she started off um, in terms of leading up to Smile with the uh, Babysitter's Club adaptations. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a brilliant, like, look, this thing that we grew up with as kids, like what Babysitter's Club, those comics feel like, and, and my daughter loved those growing up. Um, it felt like people our generation saying, hey, kids, <laughs> you know, <laughs> nephews, nieces, uh, uh, our own children, right? Like, yeah. We had great stories. We had great yeah. characters, and we want to convey. I'm actually looking, staring at one of those original, these original art pages of Babysitters Club right now. It's like oh, four wow. feet, two feet away from me um, that we own. That you know, Reina signed in, in to my daughter, um, which is amazing. And they, um, those were so cool as adaptations, as a sort of carryover. Um, and Smile then was like a a really great next thing because. I think Raina honed storytelling skills with these Babysitter Club books and then and then told the story I think she had been wanting to tell, you know, had done some versions of it before leading up to it, but really told the story she wanted to tell and that she crafted about, you know, me and my mm-hmm. childhood growing up in San Francisco and so on. Um, and then the subsequent books like drama and ghosts that are more about fictional characters and then her follow-ups, um, Sisters, and then most recently Guts um, are all, I think also really good and get at different dimensions and back to something a point that we were making i don't know that it's smile is to me her best um there's different probably criteria we could talk about Mm -hmm. but i think um it it was the first and so in that sense of being of like influential yeah and and we have not seen something appeal in this way um so so many things that were I think maybe actually tricks of accident that wound up working out really well like that smiley face cover design which you know Mm -hmm. you wouldn't think at the time like let's make comics that appeal to like general readers you know you would think let me put the character the way that Raina draws her in her very appealing style let's put that on the cover no 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 we're just going to do a really like iconic almost watchman like smiley face on the cover um with you know braces or dental work or whatever um yeah those are synonymous with with supermarkets these days yeah you can't can't go into a supermarket without seeing seeing one of those rain and covers right yeah i think 
I think um, I kind of danced around the idea of putting a Rain and Telgemeier book on on my list, <laughs> but again, it didn't necessarily influence me much as a mm-hmm. comics reader. Mm-hmm. So I I left it to you, the comic scholar and <laughs> and the guy who read the assignment, <laughs> made up and changed the assignment. <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely think that um, comics as a whole. I mean, Raina Telgemeier may be not just the person of the decade, but maybe this the, the, at the forefront of this millennia of what, what mm-hmm, comics mm-hmm. are going to be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, they reading is a rigorous process, especially prose reading. Mm-hmm. And I think that that the that um, graphic art mm. is just it's just so much more digestible and mm. quicker Mm-mm-mm. and easier to understand mm. and comprehend. And uh, I think that. YA novels like Smile mm. and the the multitudes that have that have sprung out since then mm. uh, will lead to nothing but good things for the comics industry, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the future. Yeah, yeah, and just to to put that same point, but may, maybe in a different way, something that I've thought a little bit about is. Mm-hmm. To to speak to comics's place in maybe reading and literature more broadly, like. All right, so for a time, we were all swept away by the phenomenon that was Harry Potter, mm-hmm. right? And then that, that sort of issued a challenge to the bookmaking world to say, there's only one Harry Potter. But mm-hmm. now, <laughs> literary world, what can you come up with to feed this insatiable hunger that has been instigated by Harry Potter, right? Sure. And And then what's next? So, you know, of course, there's this profusion of books and series that, that are trying to... Um, live in the wake of Harry Potter. But Harry Potter also a one-off phenomenon, right? Mm-hmm. And then they're also searching for what will be the next such phenomenon. And, you know, you got a little bit of Twilight and a little bit of The Hunger Games. You know, these various things that, like, then also set off their own um, series of imitators and stuff like that. Sure. But I, I don't know that anybody would have said, hmm, the next Harry Potter will be a graphic novel. Do you know what I mean? And so, right. in a way, like, the the gauntlet is thrown down to say, Something made this kind of a splash. Everybody has read it or knows about it or has seen it. It's it's ubiquitous for kids. Then they turn to that, to Reina and all whom Reina, Queen Reina represent and say, okay, what next? What else do you got? You know, like you sure. better show up with some stuff. And then in comes like a, a, a generation, a, a glut of artists who then say, um, in fact, some people on Twitter, um, uh, Gail Galligan among them who continued the, the, um, the Babysitter's Club comics, you know, retweeted the comics beat announcement of Reina as the creator of the decade and said, yeah, so many of us have who've worked with her or or who um, are associated in some way have seen the um, our livelihoods and our creative voices um, a, a place for them because of Reina mm-hmm. and, and these books. And so it, it, the gauntlet is thrown down to comics to say, will you show up now for this audience who is now has a wedded appetite for more. Um, and I think that comics are answering the call. I think DC's, um, you know, YA and kids comics that are coming out now are, are, you know, toward that. And it's just created mm-hmm. this huge hunger. And credit to Scholastic for recognizing, you know, that these, that graphic, <laughs> graphic art, you know, comics <laughs> belong in schools, you know, mm-hmm. that these yeah, are, yeah, yeah. these are worthy of, of uh, our kids' attention. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just, you know, I, 
I can only speak from my own experience, but I would take, you know, nieces and nephews to free comic book day and put comic books in their hands and right. they'd read them and they'd be like, yeah, that's fine. Okay. You know, but then I wouldn't hear anything more. They wouldn't be like, Hey, take me back to the comic shop. Right. And then I noticed, you know, one day, you know, my niece has, you know, smile on her hands and, and I'm like, what is that? That's a neat looking book. And I'm like, wait a second, this is a comic book. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. And we go to the library and she's looking in the kids section and it's all yeah. quiet, you know, YA graphic novel. It's yeah. all yeah. amulet and, you yeah. know, uh, just a, just a, a vast world of uh, that is opened up for yeah. for young readers. And yeah. it's it's great to see, you know, it's yeah. something that it's one of those it's one of those things that as you get older, you think, gosh, I wish I had that when I was a kid, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I guess I, we've, uh, I've spoken a lot about impact and not much about the virtues of the book itself, but I think Telga Meyer, um, and as she's alluded to this in some of the stuff she's published in interviews also distills influences, but also puts them out in a different um, format and, and way that I think, is part of the explanation for why it hits so hard, mm. which is that, you know, there's a, there's a bit of the Schultz, right? There's a little bit of the, the Watterson, sure. right? The, the mm-hmm. Calvin and Hobbs. Definitely and so the Watterson, there's those, yeah. those kind of characters. Um, and then it, but she, she read rightly that there's a audience that wants those, not just in comic strip drips and drabs and not just in like mischievous boy hijinks, like really mm-hmm. wants it in, in like, mature emotional exploration of like what it's like to grow up you know and the 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 travails of you know preteen and teen experience you know for maybe for girls in particular but really for all kids yeah i mean mm. kids appreciate it when you don't talk down to them right right none of none of her books do you know right right they don't they they definitely speak to those um subtleties of experience that mm-hmm. wind up shaping us for the rest of our lives the things that we recall on our therapist couches but <laughs> but with the the voice the the sort of visual voice of you know these um very not just comforting but like expressive cartoonish types you know mm-hmm. and um her style is is appealing and clean and fun and expressive you know using the the things that you know um uh, generations decades of 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 watterson and of schultz Mm -hmm. and you know of manga and stuff like that have made kids really ready for um and she just fit right in and it also expanded that and then to put it in that format to put it in a format that looks like a paperback um, sure is was also just a huge step that since then we're all going to be looking at the in the 2020s at the ways comics exist um you know and, and look back to smile and what a land sure oh sure yeah 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 all right you <laughs> okay so from uh something that um so from you know they announced Randy Tugmeyer is the voice of of the the decade or the yeah, artist yeah. of the decade my personal artist of the decade. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna have to go to to. I'm gonna have to give that award to Eleanor Davis. Yes. And we just talked about Eleanor Davis in the last episode, mm-hmm. and you voting that book as book of the year. And I think mm-hmm. I think it's it's an incredible. Um, what's the title of the book again? Oh, Hard tomorrow. Yeah. Hard tomorrow. Yeah. yeah sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, such an incredible book. But her book from 2016, Koyama Press, uh, You and a Bike and a Road, I think, mm. 
um, in many ways, uh, you know, so definitely personal to her, but like personal to me, it summed mm, up, mm. you know, that it really connected with me this decade. Hmm. And, uh, and that book I put as, as on my list as, as most influential. And I think that Davis's distinct voice and her works, not just with you and a bike in a road, mm-hmm. but with hard tomorrow and, and was it why we, why we do, why we make art? Why art maybe? Yeah. Why, why art? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Why yeah. art? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, these, these, her voice coming through so clearly in these, in these, in these books, um, mm-hmm. it just such an impressive talent and one mm-hmm. that I will, mm-hmm. that I eagerly look forward to whenever something new comes out from her. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you on a bike in a road is a, is a diary comic really. Mm. And, um, it could have been set up, I think as more of like a, uh, almost like a hero's journey or like a, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, like a third person, you know, like a, like a bird's eye mm-hmm. view type narrative, but her, it being a diary, it just feels so much more, um, intimate and you don't really know what to expect. Yeah. I mean, it has, it has the feeling of a diary, Yeah, you know, as, as the, you know, Eleanor doesn't know what to expect on her journey. And right. again, I should mention that, that, you know, it, it, even by the title, it sets up, you know, this is Eleanor. Right. She's on a she's on a cross country bike trip from Arizona to or maybe New Mexico to right. her home in in Georgia, and it just details in uh, details great and small that journey. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, if it was done, it was if it was told as a narrative, I think it would you know there would be more like hint drops at what is to come or what mm-hmm. to expect. Mm-hmm. Right. And the way she tells the story, you just really don't know what to expect. And you kind of focus on little details that, uh, you know, a narrator probably would would miss or, or skip right over. Right. And uh, she takes her time with it. And she's got such a I've, – I've called it – she's got a very delicate line and a very, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a very soft line. But – and sometimes, you know, in her diary entries would be just little squiggles and little mm. doodles or – um, as one would in the margins of a diary. And then she like lets it breathe. She lets some certain like, you know, very open Western scenery mm-hmm. images mm-hmm. breathe and just, you just take it in. And so there are very exhilarating highs and like, but then also like focusing on minutia. Yeah. yeah. And not only is it a trip of, you know, the physical journey, she's on a, a personal journey. Right. You know, she's she's suffering from depression. And rather than, you know, do what I would probably do or what Hawkeye would do is sit on the couch and <laughs> and dwell on my sadness, she is a little more proactive and decides to to get on the open road and yeah. and and face her you know, her challenges out there on the road. Yeah. And and it becomes, you know, a struggle, both physical and mental. And it's just, um, it's a, a thrilling and, um, you know, mm. and just an exhilarating work of work of art mm. and an mm. expression mm. of someone's, someone's journey mm. 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 and, uh, just something that, 
that I of of all of her works that I think that'll be the one that I that I mm. return to the most. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, and and back to our dumb assignment thing. You you have you totally <laughs> nailed it as far as this subjective for you, you know, sure. meaningfulness yeah. of this. But I I also really I'm really satisfied of this cuz to me this book and Eleanor Davis is a stand-in for our representative of well like I I th- I'm thinking about what else could have gone here maybe should and and you know, everything from like Tilly Walden or mm-hmm. Michael DeForge or, you Absolutely. know, like um, yeah. Kate Beaton, you know, like there's a, a variety of tones, but we're, we're talking roughly our like indie, um, you know, independent uh, alternative comics scene, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and that this is a Koyama book and that this is Eleanor Davis and that it's this book that has those themes of both like, you know, some some artful con- contemplation of these difficult things and this like route Right. This is very like outdoors, real life, you know, not often yeah. explored in comics route of, of taking the bike on the road. It's so emblematic of that world of comics that, you know, again, like we can throw in our Katie Skelly and, you know, like all kinds of significant For artists sure. of the decade. Um, very well represented, I think, by Eleanor Davis and by you and a bike in a road. So I love this pick, not only for I love hearing how it's meaningful to you personally, but also as a as a representative of that um Stream. Yeah, and I was I was kind of happy that, that it turns out that Koyama I, I had forgotten that Koyama did the book and mm-hmm. and Koyama is is in particular a very yeah. influential uh, publisher on yeah. me as a reader as a, yeah. someone I turned to to like as a tastemaker like just all around I think uh, Eleanor Davis and Koyama two two great um, <laughs> bits of bits of the decade yeah yeah yeah. Um, and then uh, maybe I'll use that as a segue then to my sure. next one, which is The Love Bunglers, uh, which came out as a collection in 2014, but originally was in uh, Love and Rockets. New Stories, I think issues four and five or volume mm-hmm. four, well, not, not volumes because the volume, uh, but <laughs> number book booklet number four right. and five, which was <laughs> uh, roughly 11, uh, 2011, 2012. Um, and Love Bunglers is, of course... Um, Maggie's um, sto- Maggie and Ray's story, um, mm-hmm. the story of kind of their um, romance and and maybe sort of like I don't know it's it's sort of like not even the right word to say like reuniting because I think the story shows the ways that you know we we come in and out of each other's lives and in a way like timing um, comes together in this character that we've loved and, and and followed and cared about mm-hmm. for decades in fact <laughs> speaking of the Raina Telgemeier that is I can touch with my hand right now that's two feet away mm-hmm. one foot away is you and I were together when we got to see Jaime at um, CXC a few months ago yeah and you remember that I bought a piece of uh, his his Absolutely. Uh, art it's right yeah. it's right in front of my face not not <laughs> not two feet away um, and so I think <laughs> it's not bad I love it um well worth it and I'm staring at Maggie right now and I'm thinking about like how this person is obviously a diff- very different person if she existed in real life from from who I am and where I've grown mm-hmm. up and yet I've lived with her so long because of love and rockets right and walked through so many parts of her life at different stages of my life and right. then and then love bunglers was really um coming to this very poignant moment with her that you could not that you know, it, it 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 stands alone as something powerful, mm-hmm. but it also is is triply powerful having known her through all these different stages of her life. 
you know, since the eight, I mean, I haven't known her since the eighties. I didn't start reading right. rockets till later, but, but that sense of her having lived through all these decades. And, and so love bunglers as a masterful work of comics itself, but also to me as a representative of maybe not Eleanor Davis, but, but hanging out at the same conventions or same, <laughs> same, same, you know, rooms uh, in, in that it's a collected, um, work, a, it's almost a, a, a culmination of this independent or literary or underground mm-hmm. comics thing that matures into, has matured in this last decade into kind of a mainstream acceptability. And so I'm happy to put Jaime here in the place of, say, a Chris Ware or a Seth or, you know, like these sure. people, um, because they've been around and they went from, you know, whatever, underground, you know, not known by anybody to New Yorker cover respectability. Um but through the hard work and um, through the, you know, longstanding character development or style development or voice development that results in something like Love, Bungler, Bung, Love Bunglers. So as, as a sort of indicator of comics continuing to be what comics were, but then gaining a kind of foothold in, um, in the world, I think Love Bunglers is a nice, nice sum up of that. It's it's such an interesting thing to be able to like grow old with a fictional character. Yeah, right. Or yeah. not maybe not old, but older. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of times, especially with comics, they never mm-hmm. age. You know, you. Yeah. You know. Uh, yeah. Kamala for probably most of our lives is going to be sixteen. Yeah. That's you know. Right. Or, <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, Maggie here, you know, we've we've grown up with her, and yeah. we know her better than even you know, Ray does in the story, you know, yeah. or, or at least, or at least, you know, we, maybe we think we do, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, I think it's just such a special, uh, thing to be able to experience. Yeah. And you, yeah. you don't, mm-hmm. you're not in any better hands than Jaime Hernandez's, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a comic storyteller. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. he just, he just has such a, clean and concise vision about mm-hmm. what he wants you know and he to hear him speak you wouldn't think that <laughs> it's, it's almost like he's the way he talks it's just like eh, i just throw it up there and see what works but right you know there's it's it's a guy who spent more than ten thousand hours at the drawing table and yeah and he knows these characters backwards and forwards yeah yeah taking you on this journey and yeah. uh, it's i it's it's such a great story uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I totally understand why it's why it's on your list for sure. Yeah, yeah, and what you just said makes me think about one of the things that it does is that he's brilliant at any slice of time, right? So you 1984 mm-hmm. Jaime, it's different but brilliant uniquely from 1996 Jaime versus you know, but but actually a lot of the effect, and I'm probably just repeating myself here, but is the fact that. At any of those given moments, you, he might say, he might come off the way he came off to us, which is just like, yeah, I don't know, I'm just kind of throwing out whatever is, you know, in the air, you know, whatever is it knocking around in my head and I put it on paper. Yeah. But but actually, that's how sustained work over time and investment in a world of characters becomes this bellwether of decades, of generations, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, you know, I saw comparisons in the in the write-ups of Love Bunglers to um, Updike's 
Rabbit Engstrom character. And I remember reading that in college. And so I'm 20, 20 years old reading, um, you know, Rabbit Run and, and stuff like that. And, you know, um, for those who don't know, Updike wrote this character and came out with a book about this character mm-hmm. every 10 years. And so it became almost a marking. So the each book is sort of, you know, better or worse, but, you know, smart in itself, but also as a sort of like checkpoint of, Here's John sure. Updike on America in this decade, at this moment, you know, and you mm-hmm. see that play out in in um, Rabbit's life, and so there's again a, a a sort of like double impact of these things, not just as a, a a kind of reflection in and of themselves, but as a marker point in gen in decades of history, which you just cannot like. I it's like actually impossible to do with a one time work. You know, you can only do yeah, that by having right. lived through a certain amount right. of time and change. And um, and so for me, Love Bunglers is great and, and so so meaningful. But it's also like, yes, comics perennially digs up and resurfaces and, and must echo its past um, or a past and um, and strive to live in a con- continuity of, of, of life. And I think Love Bunglers is also representative of that for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, but, but to speak of a moment, maybe you can hit us with, uh, your last comic of the decade, which I, I, again, just wholeheartedly put my endorsement behind this as your pick too. Um, for sure. Hit us and with I kind of want, and I kind of wanted to save uh, this pairing for last because I believe yes. that, that as a, uh, as an honorable mention, mine, your pick, your last mm. pick will def- mm-hmm. would definitely be on my list. Nice. Uh, and I only kept it off because I knew you were going to pick it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my last pick is the uh, webcomic, uh, The Nib, by um, editors Matt Bors, mm-hmm. um, Ellery Harris, and Matt Lubchansky. And um, and they've had such a wide variety of talent go yeah. through there. I think yeah. of like Jim Coral, um, Ben Passmore, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Ron Wimberly, as we've said, mm-hmm. and even even the editors themselves have have you know made some of the more famous or you know uh, interesting uh, comics from that yeah. from that uh, masthead or series. I don't know. What you, quite call it yeah Outfit. oh even even uh <laughs> even uh mike dawson from uh, process yeah. party has done yeah, some great yeah. stuff for them as well yeah, yeah so yeah. yeah so the the nib is for those who don't know it's um socio-political uh web comic mm-hmm. uh, that um to me has just been as i've and i think all of us have had to pay more attention to the world around us in the past decade, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, knowing how we can enter the discourse, yeah, uh, constructively, yeah, yeah, and even be a voice of dissent, I think, right. is important. And comics have, are just seem so um, attuned to being able to do that well. Yeah, they always yeah. have been, you know. Um, right. I think I'm thinking of the one of the first comics that I ever fell in love with was uh, um, I was in sixth grade hmm. and I just found out that um, 
Matt Groening did a comic mm-hmm. before The Simpsons called called uh, Life in Life Hell. Life in Hell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and one of those one of those comics, and I bought went out and bought one of the collections called School is Hell. And, yeah. And in that in that comic, uh, Bongo, the little one eared rabbit, is asked to stand up and say the Pledge of Allegiance. Mm. And he immediately goes into kind of like riffing on just playing around with, mm-hmm. you know, his freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, so he says, you know, and to the Republicans for which they scam, you know, <laughs> you know, in the United States of Mary Cow and just right. like playing with the that, words yeah. and just being a little wise ass. And, you know, he's, <laughs> he's, he's, he was my age. He's 10, 11, 12 years old. He's, yeah. And, and immediately he gets reprimanded and he, the next, you know, the final panel is him being, you know, hogtied and, and, uh, a, um, uh, handkerchief in his mouth, you know, mm-hmm. gagging him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And from, you know, from that, from that comic, I think, you know, I learned that comics were uniquely attuned to being able to like say things about yes. the world in a light manner, but with still a voice of, of rebelliousness and, yeah, 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 yeah. and, and dissent. And I think to get back to the nib, the nib, um, takes that and runs with it, takes mm-hmm. their unique position as, comics creators mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and voices dissent or uh just socio-political commentary on the on the world and, and yeah. on the nation and they do it so well i'm thinking again of ron wimberley's lighten up is right. is probably the first one that i that probably matter of fact that might be the first time i had heard of the nib is mm-hmm. is through lighten up um mm-hmm. and his ron wimberley's work uh, work for hire work for i don't think he names names but marvel Mm, where yeah. they where they asked him to to um, yeah. uh, lighten up the skin tone on on the black characters right. yes. that he was coloring, and what that what that was asking of 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 him as a person and yeah. of him as yeah. a as a black creator, right? And and uh, it meant so much for me to read that, hmm. and and from then on I was a fan, and and obviously hmm. the the they have, you know, dozens of, of artists mm-hmm. regular or just showing up every once in a while or only once mm-hmm. talking about a wide variety of, 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 um, uh, you know, aspects of, of culture. Yeah. And, uh, they're always, it always feels insightful. I, yeah. I always seem to learn something and learn something more about uh, comic storytelling. And, and for that, I appreciate it. And it keeps me going. You know, Matt Matt Boris is great at at, um, at his his comedic timing and talents, <laughs> and it always brings a smile on my face, even when I want to like just throw my phone across the room at at the news. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, the nib. Yeah, and you know, you uh, put in our notes here, so I don't want to steal it from you, but uh, a really, you know, there's something you can do to keep this going. <laughs> Yeah, right. absolutely. So, so they they were on Medium for a while, mm-hmm. the website Medium, and then they decided, I guess Medium decided either they weren't going to host the nib anymore, or they just went under. I'm not quite sure. Mm-hmm. And then they they went under somebody else for a while, and then mm-hmm. last year they the they laid off a bunch of the uh, yeah the editors of the nib, and so now they're they're self funded or yeah. you know or reader funded. Right. So if you would like to, 
you know, check them out. Uh, you can go to uh, membership.anib.com and uh, see what they have to offer. Yeah. I'm sure you're going to find something online. Yeah. Yeah. Keep, keep Nib alive. I'm a, I'm a, I still get the thanks for contributing every month to the Nib, you know, it's like four bucks, but um, uh, yeah, keep, keep that going. Um, And I love that you went back to Matt Groening. I got in trouble as a kid. I didn't get in trouble a lot, but one of the things I got in trouble for once in elementary school was I was passing around uh, one of those in hell books. Uh, Same, the very same. Yep, absolutely. And so that idea of comics being kind of this uh, rebellious gadfly to the to the to the man mm, yeah, yeah was uh was i had some roots there but it you know stays there as as this email that pops up in my inbox every morning with a the you know two or five or six <laughs> nib comics that um, right are are keeping that tone alive um in in a way that uh, you know honestly sometimes the uh optimist in me and the bridge builder wants to to like, oh, should I? Is this is this too much cynicism? And then I, then I look at the, the as you said, pick up the. Then I read the next email, which is the New York Times <laughs> summary, and I'm like, right. no, <laughs> like we right. absolutely need this uh, voice, counter voice, or whatever. And it is, of course, a, the opposition of opinion, but it's also the the sort of ways that comics as a kind of device, you know, as mm-hmm. a meaning conveying device <laughs> contrasts to you know the sort of barf coming from the white house or whatever you know like yeah um it just and not that. just the white house just in you know just in culture in general you know absolutely 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 yeah yeah um so i i love that i i think the nib mm-hmm. is going to stand it's both and we're getting to these notes too uh mm-hmm. i'm hitting this note over and over it's both a continuation of what comics have always been you know for a century right mm-hmm and have and a new form of how it needs to be that um in the ways that right. it exists right so yeah absolutely yeah um great great pick yeah. as, a, as a part of summation of the decade and then yeah. i i you, didn't know that re- we would yeah yeah i didn't know are we'd re- end on are this are you ready to, ready to get in some good trouble <laughs> some good trouble oh that is bittersweet given uh you know representative lewis's uh you know health right now yeah and, um, this is, of course, John Lewis and Andrew Aiden and Nate Powell's March, um, which I just put volumes one through three, which ran from 2014 to 2017 from IDW Top Shelf. Um, the whole batch of the story mm-hmm. is is our last uh, significant comic of the decade. And, you know, I, I said all that before because it is, of course, historical. You know, it's a story of mm-hmm. the uh, John Lewis's upbringing and involvement in, in uh, you know, SNCC and Southern um, Christian Leadership Conference and and then culminating, I think, climaxing in the um, Bloody Sunday march that um, he actually starts off alluding to because, you know, at around the time of Ob- 2008, around the time of Obama's um, election and, and inauguration, there was a lot of um, tribute paid because of anniversaries and stuff to that moment in the movement that, that really... Um, significant moment in the in the civil rights movement on bloody sunday when a march across um edmund pettus bridge led to this police violence you know police Mm -hmm. on horses and and tear gas and all this kind of stuff that was such a um that is such a marker for us of both um you know the 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 persistence of white supremacy and Mm -hmm. of the uh and of the power of um of you know 
um, civil civil movements and social movements. And so March captures that with comics. Um, it captures it with history. It captures it in a, in a in a very kind of educational way that touches on present and past and the connections of present and past that John Lewis embodies. Um, there was that moment that was, <laughs> of course, very stagey, but all of this is very stagey, you know, because mm -hmm. that's how you speak to hearts and minds and culture of yeah. John Lewis leading a march through Comic-Con and, you know, right. like, um, and, and really trying to remind us that comics are part of the broader culture and the broader culture mm -hmm. has a social and moral responsibility. You know, uh, much of the story of the origins of this has to have to do with this Martin Luther King comic book that went around at that time that s sort of helped to inspire and inform people about the movement. Um, you know, and so comics have always played sometimes a low key and sometimes, uh, uh, you know, important and, and uh, maybe undetected, but, but really um, significant role in just popularizing things that are part of popular movements, um, popular forces for change. Yeah, I really appreciate the way that, um, well, number one, Powell's art has never looked, mm -hmm. never looked better. I mean, just, mm -hmm. just fantastic art throughout, but mm -hmm. I appreciate the, the perspective. Um, mm -hmm. certainly, you know, we know the story, but we don't know it in this way. Yeah. And I think that having Lewis's, um, and with the help of Aiden, uh, his unique, uh, uh, angle on, yeah. on the mm -hmm. events. Mm -hmm you know, just sheds a whole new light on, on that part of the civil rights movement. Yeah. It's just, um, just a wonderful, a wonderful read. Yeah. And so glad it's introduced as, as curricula and they even have like workbooks now and stuff. Yeah. That you yeah, can, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. So great. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's gotta be here because, you know, we'll talk about, mouse and persepolis right and mm -hmm. it has things that um kids read and that were like wow this is groundbreaking for comics and and i think american born chinese is gonna sit in that pantheon um and, yeah. and i think march um is very much um there and so what does it say about comics <clears throat> as a conduit of history um or or you know knowledge right what's valued in schools and what's part mm -hmm. of the, the, the kind of core things that we build up, um, our, our young people's understanding of, of what's important and, and how the world works. Um, a generation of kids, what will it be like when kids who grew up in the 2010s become, you know, adults yeah. and, and professionals and voters having read March having read American born Chinese, having read these different, um, works that show up in curricula and syllabi all over the world all over the country this, especially but yeah mm -hmm. yeah this is gonna feel like a weird tangent but like the um i'm sort of reminded of the for some reason i'm reminded of the first episode of of the new watchman show mm -hmm. when you talk mm -hmm. about comics as you know the conduit of history and science yeah and yeah. how many didn't how many people did not know the history of of the black wall street yeah. and tulsa yeah. race riots right. and how um you know art in general and I do consider, you know, the new season of Watchmen as a, as a work of art mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. to to present us with history that, uh, you know, that that the textbooks won't. And and March does the same thing. I mean, yeah. I never you know, I didn't know 
you know, plenty of the things that I learned in March, you know, mm. I learned mm. through, through the comic series. So, mm, 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 mm. yeah. And, um, I think that Powell is a great nexus of comics and, you know, because, you, you know, if you were to go, huh, who's going to draw this well, it, yeah. who's going to serve this story well in terms of their style and in terms of just kind of like a, a place. I don't know that you'd necessarily think of Nate Powell first. The I results, though, have. were, yeah, yeah the, but the results were, um, you just can't dispute that his style served that purpose in terms yeah. of being able to contain a certain level of darkness um, that saw the nobility of, you know, of certain energies and was able to cast kind of the, the harsh reality of other, um, other, you know, energies in, in such a good way. Like, you, you know, um, George Wallace, white racists mm-hmm. in Powell's hands have both a kind of, um, uh, kind of dark, dark evil, and a kind of humanity, yeah. right? That yeah. that yeah. Powell, Powell does really well, and then of course, like you know, um, these these moments of of strength and um, of even of self questioning that it lives within the movement, right? Like Powell has to mm-hmm. render, you know, people who are are purportedly our heroes, who are our heroes indeed, but in 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 tension with each other, right? And he his. You know, I just think about his the work leading up to or the work before March too. He just has the ability to contain so much um, complexity in the way he draws characters and in the way they live in a page. You yeah. know, that, that there's a lot of like he has a very growth. Mm-hmm. yeah he has a very expressive line. And, yeah, 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 absolutely. And 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 to carry off, um, you know. Um, different different moods and emotions mm-hmm. so powerfully on a page um so uh i i love that readers will um be exposed to march i think there's i think there is a little bit of homework <laughs> feeling like i'll talk to librarians and march is on every shelf and kids mm-hmm. do read march but they don't devour it the way that they do reina do you know what i mean like they're not like give me more of that, you know? Um, but I, I, th- I think that's okay. You know, like well, I think I, as a kid, yeah. I felt that way about, I felt that way about a lot of books that, and, and they, they weren't, I say homework in, in kind of in jest, like it's more like the sense that like, this is important. And maybe because it's so important, I can't always go to it for what I look for in my reading, which is a little bit sure. of escape and a little bit of like yeah. uh, laughs and a little bit of like relief. But I read it at some point because I know how important this is and I know how powerful it is. And I'm okay with it living in that space because I think that space needs to exist and kids just need to uh, yeah. be able to, to, to find the right things at that space. Yeah, I definitely read more fiction as a kid than, than nonfiction. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, mm-hmm. you know, I responded more to the, 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 you know, the rights of the rebellion in Star Wars than I would have in <laughs> civil rights of, you sure. know, I, it just... Right, yeah. I, it just that appealed to the kid in me and yeah you know it's so i can understand it being a bit of a um a struggle to you know to kids to get through Mm. but Mm. i mean obviously it's not just a book for kids so yeah 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 yeah. we again like the tulsa race rights and watchmen 
we all have things that we can learn about our past selves, you know, our, our, yeah, yeah. our, our history, our shared history. So, right, 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 right. So there, there's, yeah. March is valuable, you know, for all ages. And I think that's, that's why it makes it important for the decade and, and for the future. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm definitely not talking about this actually just as kids. I guess what I mean right, is, right. I guess what I mean is, is the notion of required reading. Oh, you know yeah, what I mean? Well, yeah, and, and I'm not, and I don't like, believe he, in that he, term, though. There's well, here, here, what I'm saying is, I think, yeah. I think that there's a role for it. Like, there's things that I make required reading for myself, and I, I'm comfortable yeah. with it being that. I, you know, and I'm putting mm-hmm. that label required reading mm-hmm. as, um, ironically, you could say. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, in that, it's not what I'm going to for entertainment, um, but it's sort of like. Hmm. I, I'll put it this way: like my wife and I have our movie queue, you know, like our list of mm-hmm. things to watch, right? And among those things are things that, like, sometimes we don't get to on an exhausted Friday night, right? But it's still on our queue because it gets us in touch with things that we actually love being in touch with, and so we will get to those things. Sure, you know what I mean, and 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 I guess. My feeling about March, and I and I think this is important. It's important for comics to exist here as well. Yes, there are virtues. Yes, it's interesting. Yes, it's fun. Yes, it can be like appealing, right? It's got to be all those things mm-hmm. as well, right? Um, but it also has a place that, and I'm saying it's there not because <laughs> maybe this is the teacher in me. It's not required reading in the sense that I feel it imposed on me. It's required right. reading in the sense that I write a syllabus for myself. Of things mm-hmm. that I want to see and know because I think that's important for my existence in the world, my humanity. You know, it's like a self-assigned required reading, right? Well, I, you know, and I think that to bridge to to maybe the discussion, you know, for the future, mm-hmm. yeah, both for yeah. for ourselves and for the for the for the podcast, like yeah, yeah. this as we as we as March is a required reading, like you know, we have hopes and and as we curate our our tastes and our yeah what we want from comics yeah you know we do have to put things on our required reading list that we may not um you know go to for enjoyment but to to actually to hone our blade so to speak <laughs> uh to to sharpen sharpen our minds and our 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 comic knowledge and our our base mm-hmm, of mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know there's so many you know there's so many different um uh, you know, I'm not big into, or I have not been big into manga, and I've mm-hmm, always wanted mm-hmm. to delve deeper into that. And so, you know, for the next decade, yeah, yeah, I kind of see myself like branching out into other, you know, other, uh, you know, countries and their comics. <laughs> so, yeah, that, yeah. I, I really, um, that's all my required reading list. Anything yeah. in particular for you? Um, I, yeah, I mean, where I want to, you know, no, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think so. I don't think there's anything on my list in, 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 and just kind of continue expanding on what I was saying. I think, I think because maybe something that is a feature of my nerddom is that when I feel like something is required reading, I also take a joy in it. And I think that's mm-hmm. really important, right? Is that, I guess it's not that they're not entertaining to me it's that i what they to come back to me and my wife 
when we don't watch that movie or show that's mm-hmm. on our queue, it's not an indication that there's something wrong with that. It's an indication right. that there's something wrong with us. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, we're not willing not to confront. Or... No, no, no. I mean, it's like specifically we're not willing to confront oh. our own feelings or okay. we're not willing to confront our history or our, our world or our place in the world. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And and I think yeah. that there's certain things that I, I, I not avoid reading, but like something else, like garbage jumps to the top of my list, but that's not a, a, a um, an indication of the things that it displaced. It's an indication of something up with me. Mm. And so I wouldn't say that I have something that I'm putting to my, on my like New Year's resolution, <laughs> the same way to right, come back right. to where we started, the same way <laughs> as eating vegetables, like, you know, reading certain things isn't like eating vegetables to me. I think what it is, is letting the, what, where I turn to when I'm sort of like, oh, what am I going to read? What, what, what's mm-hmm. appealing to me? Letting it say to me, okay, these things reflect and feed what's, you know, my id, right? What mm-hmm. is going on with me? What does this say about me and how I'm existing in the world that I'm turning to this? And sometimes mm-hmm. what it says to me is I actually am really hungry to like read the nib and, you know, get right, worked right. up and, and, and learn something and think about, you know, whatever, um, nuclear disarmament or whatever, you know, um, or North Korea or whatever. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's also to me like I really want to really want Tom King's Batman to potentially touch off, you know, a, a psychological connection. Um, and good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I love ending on this note, uh, Johnny. I think I love your question because I think that is a great um, liftoff point for us to say. Uh, if you've listened to us this long, hopefully you'll continue to enjoy me and Johnny and the comic syllabus because I think this is what we're doing, right? We're, we're basically right. reading the stuff and, and letting it uh, be mirrors into our souls. And, and if, they, <laughs> if anybody has any required reading for us, shoot us a message. Let us know. <laughs> yes, yes. Required reading in the fullest sense, you know, in the most, mm-hmm. uh, most robust sense. Um, Johnny, this has been fun. I, I think our list, you know, and reflecting on what we picked, and and what we left out, you know, that we could have mm-hmm. easily found a justification to bump in here just speaks to the richness of comics, and, and that's cool. Yeah, the past 10 years have been tremendous for comics and mm. gives me hope for the future. Mm-hmm. Yep. Speaking to that future, join us again in two weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> here comes podcast voice Paul again. <laughs> <laughs> but in a couple of weeks, we'll come back, and uh, Johnny and I will talk about what we've been reading, and I think... Johnny, we're going to talk about X-Men, right? We're going to get into some... Oh, yeah. We are some going Hickman to be, era. Yeah. We are going to be the the umpteenth X-Men podcast ah, in your ah. in the comic book podcast field. No, I think uh, Paul, present, <laughs> you know, Paul, you presented me with an interesting spin on how you want to talk about it. Mm. Uh, something mm. that I hadn't considered. Um, mm. I'm not a, a lit theorist. <laughs> um so but i've been doing my research i've been doing my homework uh all required reading <laughs> <laughs> no just it's been really entertaining uh <laughs> giving giving the the new x run uh a new glance after mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. after the the information you presented me and i can't wait to yeah. to talk about it with you and and yeah. hopefully hear from hear from viewers alike uh and their For thoughts sure. on it so 
For sure. Yeah. And, and just to um, go ahead and, and put out what we're talking about is I was thinking a lot as I was reading, I don't know, issues three and four of whatever the latest run of X-Books from Fallen Angels and Excalibur to X-Men and New Mutants about um, Mikhail Bakhtin's notion of carnivalesque um, and carnivalesque literary works. And um, just entirely by happenstance, um, I thought Carnival X. That's what we should call it. I love it. I love <laughs> so it. Some of y'all are uh, have, have already shut this off <laughs> as soon as I said Mikhail Bakhtin. <laughs> but for those of you who are still hanging around, you may be a little bit excited by that notion. I just think it's a way in. Um, and yes, there are plenty of folks, including at Multiversity, covering the X-Men and the X-Books. But I, for me, it's a way in to understand what Hickman's doing and why, sorry, Hickman and company, of course, the entire vast creative team and why mm-hmm. this particular spin on the X books on the mutant world has a kind of appeal and does and shakes things up and has become so attractive besides the weekly shipping and so on. Um, so, yeah. And I, yeah. and I, what interests me so much about, and I will, we'll talk about it more, but mm-hmm. what interests me so much about your observation is not only do I think it's spot on, I think it's mm-hmm. in fact intentional and I mm-hmm. can't wait to talk to you more about that. Yeah. Uh, next likewise. time. Likewise. Join us for the comic syllabus. Johnny, thanks so much. This oh, has been fun. One more thing. Yeah, uh, yeah. I would like to send a, a personal thank you out to uh, Greg from Robots from Tomorrow, who sent me mm-hmm. a very uh, lovely email uh, welcoming me into the podcast world and to oh. uh, the multiversity uh, uh, stable of podcasts yeah. and yeah. gave me some some uh, helpful pointers it was a uh, it was a great little mentoring session and i really appreciate <laughs> it so greg thank you don't know how much it means to me thank you thank oh, you so much i love that johnny greg is a rare soul a beautiful oh, he's, he's great yeah yeah i love that guy yeah my i join in the shout outs to uh, <laughs> to greg um mike's pretty cool too absolutely hey um johnny i'll see you next time and uh y'all join us okay i'm on twitter at uh two ply t-w-o-p-l-a-i and i'm I'm at johnny hall three the number three yep let's uh dig deep yep that's right let's dig deep